Okay, everybody, welcome back to the Bold Sidebar. This is your host, Jeff Horn, talking all things New Jersey Supreme Court. I have been negligent in my hope to produce a show every week. It's been getting more like two, three, and four weeks apart. Today, I'm recording on the 8th of October, just a few weeks away from the November 2nd election. No excuses, but reality is I am a candidate, and I'm having a ball running And it takes day and night, and I didn't realize how much time it was going to take. Everyone says that. And also how much bandwidth. So I'm reading opinions about 10 times slower than I normally would. And I've got to read them, synthesize them, and then be able to speak about them. So I'm behind Mia culpa. I was prepared to speak to an important case, State v. Wilbur Hanna, and I'm going to give you guys a full effort on that one. However, anyone who listens to the Bold Sidebar podcast in 2021 knows that as I've pivoted over to the New Jersey Supreme Court, all things New Jersey Supreme Court, that I have been completely entranced by the State v. Michelle Ladzinski case, also referred to as the disappearance of Timothy Wiltsey. Two seconds for those who don't know. Five-year-old child, mother is the defendant. Five-year-old child disappears from a carnival in Sayreville, New Jersey, low 30 years ago, and is convicted in 2016. So you get the idea. Long, long time before the state was able to make its case. She's convicted. Case goes up, appeals, gets to the New Jersey Supreme Court earlier this year, and there's a decision that affirms the appellate division's denial of the defendant's request for a new trial. The court split 3-3. So it's a per curiam opinion with three justices for affirmance. And although the opinions procuring, there's a lengthy and fantastically detailed concurring opinion by Justice Patterson, which is worth reading just for its literary value and its meaningful way to tell a story in an orderly fashion that has twists and turns and uh, certainly reads like a script. There is a passionate dissent written by Justice Albin, joined by Justice Lavecchia and Justice Pierre-Louis. On the procuring, it's Justice Patterson, Justice Solomon, and Justice Fernandez-Vina. You notice I've only counted six justices. Justice Ravner recused himself. So you get that awkward 3-3 split. So you've got an appellate division opinion that upholds the conviction, and you've got a 3-3 split. So in the case of a tie, essentially, in the Supreme Court, the decision below remains intact. It's, It's affirmed, referred to in this latest bit of Ludzinski litigation as an equally divided affirmance. There's no constitutional problem with that. However, the defense made a motion for reconsideration, essentially re-argument of the case before an odd-numbered panel, requiring, requesting, rather, that in the absence of our seventh justice, Chief Justice Ravner, that a judge from the appellate division be elevated to the Supreme Court. Historically, that has been the senior appellate division judge. In this case, Judge Fuentes is the senior active judge. 
So that's exactly what's happened. There's a new order dated October 6th that grants reconsideration and requires that the court be fully stocked with seven jurists to handle the case. There's a split. Obviously, there's a split in the reconsideration order with Justices uh, Solomon Patterson fernandez Vina dissenting from the order that grants the rehearing. The interesting issue, and it was addressed at length in the Ladzinski opinion, is the standard utilized by the appellate division to uphold the conviction. That is, in viewing a motion to vacate a conviction, the standard as again set forth in the Ledzinski case and other cases, is that the reviewer looks at the entirety of the evidence. The appellate division and Ledzinski opined that it was the duty of the upper level court to only review the state's evidence. So that was the door through which defense counsel made an argument that this case should be re-argued because the equally divided affirmance was utilizing a flawed judgment below. So there's a 37-page order with an opinion and a dissent on a, essentially a procedural argument, but fireworks continue on the State v. Ledzinski case, the disappearance of Timothy Wilty case, so we'll have more coverage on that. And uh, I said last time I was done, I, I guess I'm secretly happy to not be done. It's a fascinating case. If you've never read it, uh, you can listen to a number of my podcasts that address it. Obviously, it's no laughing matter. It's a tragedy of unbelievable proportions for the child deceased and the family of the child, the family of the defendant as well. She's got two other children. She's lived a life post the death of Timmy. So a lot of people are impacted, as they are in all cases, but not all cases last for 30 years and continue. Now, I want to move over to a case we have not talked about before, and I'm going to start with the name of the heroine that was traded in this 1994 drug deal. The brand name is Gotta Have It. Contrary to what one might think, street heroin has a brand name, there's branding, there's a sort of word of mouth marketing, and it reminds me of the American Gangster movie featuring Frank Lucas, big drug dealer in the 70s, who got his heroin directly from the East, literally went to the poppy fields of like Vietnam and Cambodia and made his own deals. His heroine in the movie, American Gangster, is called Blue Magic, and he gets into a huge dispute with rival heroin dealer Cuba Gooding over the naming rights to the heroine. So, gotta have it. State v. Wilbur Hanna, H-A-N-N-A-H. Wilbur Hanna gotta have it. He wanted to get a hold of this gotta have it heroin. So Hanna and I'm going to say for the moment two other Jersey City drug dealers, LaCue, L-A-C-U-E, and Thomas were in contact with Brooklyn drug dealers who provided the product. And in this case, we're going to deliver the product in the middle of the night from Brooklyn to Jersey City. The Brooklyn drug dealers are Salazar and Flores. Well, Salazar and Flores are in communication with some 
drug dealers in Jersey City. They come over to Jersey and they are shot and killed. Honor among drug dealers and thieves? No. LeCue admits to killing one of the Brooklyn drug dealers and IDs Hannah as the shooter of the other drug dealer and essentially the mastermind of the whole deal. So he cuts his best deal. Hannah goes to trial on a murder accusation, felony murder and related charges. He actually beats the top charge, but is convicted two counts of felony murder. So he gets two consecutive 30-year sentences. This is all happening again in 1994. And that's where everyone starts lying and pointing fingers. So I mentioned Thomas. Hannah wants to blame Thomas for being the other drug dealer and shooter. Indeed, Thomas responds to a page from police trying to determine who is the drug dealer on the other end of the pager. And that pager number that Thomas responded to is found in the pocket of one of the deceased Brooklyn drug dealers on a bloody slip of paper. So Thomas is somehow tied in here. Indeed, during the really tortured history of this thing, and I'll talk about it, there's a hearing where Thomas's mother, Mary Jones, testifies. And she testifies to all sorts of things that would implicate Thomas. That Thomas had a beef with Hannah. That Hannah had accused Thomas of stealing drugs from him. That Thomas was saying, we have to get rid of Hannah. Thomas was considering setting Hannah up for the police. So all of those things were happening in the background, and some of those things were collected in a police report authored by a Lieutenant Red, R-E-D-D. So the Red report had in there, among other facts, that Thomas answered a page from the number on a scrap of paper in the drug dealer's pocket. A pager, by the way, registered to Hannah, the defendant here. When Thomas was interviewed, he implicated Hannah and LeCue in the disposal of the two guns used to commit the crime. Hopefully I've tantalized you. Now let's get into some of the meat of it. This case is 92 printed pages off of the Supreme Court's website. It's a 4-3 split and a quite a vigorous split. For the majority is Justice Albin, Justice Lavecchia, Justice Pierre-Louis, and the Chief Justice Radner. The dissent is authored by Justice Solomon, joined by Justice Patterson and Justice fernandez Vina. Again, we're talking in 2021. The relevant activities occurred back in 94, the trial soon thereafter. So Hannah has had multiple direct appeals, three rounds of post-conviction relief in the trial level, multiple appeals on the post-conviction relief. So I'm not going to bother for any of that procedural stuff other than to share. There's been a ton of litigation on myriad issues. What comes before the court now is the Supreme Court is an ineffective assistance of counsel claim, the essence of which is that the counsel for the defendant failed to adequately pursue the third-party defense claim. The attorneys had 
this red report that implicated Thomas and certainly demonstrated that Thomas would have had some motivation to point the figure at Hannah and get it off himself, that there were errors made at Thomas's mother's 104 hearing, specifically that her testimony should have been permitted and it was excluded. And as part of that, that Mary Jones's testimony, harmful to Thomas, should have been considered an exception to hearsay under 803C25 that the court below and the appellate division erred by interpreting the rule of evidence to apply only to a litigant, only to a defendant in this case, as opposed to a, another party's mother. One would think that, in theory, your mother would not testify against you other than giving uh, honest testimony, and that would, at least in theory, be on your side. So the presumption is that her testimony should be should have been deemed reliable, and that would have given Hannah a door back to third-party defense claim, and that the counsel were inadequately represented Hannah at the uh, Mary Jones 104 hearing. And now back to the red report, Red report contains information that would have served to at least roll Thomas into the investigation and create a defense that was another guy. As my old law professor, John Wary, would say, a sodded defense. Some other dude did it. In addition, the court found that the defense was inadequate or ineffective, rather, because of a failure to object to the prosecutor's statement there, that there was not even a scintilla of evidence linking Thomas to the murders. In this case, Hannah testified at the trial, and Hannah made it clear that he, he was implicating Thomas. So was there a scintilla? Certainly there was a scintilla, but was a lot of evidence presented? Was there... A, a, an overwhelming amount of evidence presented below? The answer is no. So when the prosecutor said not a scintilla, the argument here or the, or the finding by the Supreme Court is that the defense counsel should have objected. In a nutshell, Hannah gets a new trial after 14 years of appellate and post-conviction litigation. He gets a new trial after he's essentially served his first 30-year term. There are numerous takeaways here. Rule, uh, pardon me, uh, rule of evidence, 803C25. The uh, Chief Justice has penned a concurring opinion here, asking that the Evidence Rules Committee address a flaw in our rule of evidence and inconsistency between the Federal Rules of Evidence regarding the statement against interest standard requiring corroborating circumstances and, as I mentioned before, applying it to whom. So that's one takeaway. I should speak to the standard, the Strickland standard, the, the Fritz standard, the ineffective assistance of counsel standard, that the representation fell below a required minimum standard, that as a result of the failure, that there's a reasonable probability that the result could have been different, but for counsel's deficiencies below. And that's where there are significant fireworks here in the New Jersey Supreme Court, and the dissent is always the place to find the fireworks, because the uh, dissent is opposing their brothers and sisters on the court, oftentimes 
for deep reasons and to help develop the conversation going forward. And really, when you see a passionate dissent, either way, you know that the dissenting justices believe deeply in what they're arguing and that they, they don't want whatever justice might have been litigated below to slip away. That's what we've got here. And interestingly, there are disputes between the majority opinion and the dissent on the facts. That is not something I normally see. Here, there's an argument by the defense, and there's an argument between the majority opinion and the dissent about where the shooters were. So, were the shooters outside the car, shooting into the car to, the, to kill the Brooklyn drug dealers, or inside the car, shot the Brooklyn guys, and then what we see in the holes exiting the back window and the front window of the car would be the exit bullets. So there's literally, they're still debating that right through the Supreme Court. Now, as it relates to ineffective assistance of counsel argument, we're, we're finding this is where the real clash occurs. The dissent addresses the red report as something that w would have helped to sink Hannah and that essentially it was trial strategy or judgment below rather than objectively poor representation below that led to the defense not using the red report that implicates Thomas in some ways. So the red report would have, in the, in the dissent's view, confirmed that the defendant, Hannah, participated in the felony, i.e. drug dealing, intending to steal the drugs, gun charges. And there's no dispute that Hannah's there. In, in fact, there's a, there's a uh, soda can that's in the car that was Hannah's soda can. So, so he's there. There's no disputes about that. And the red report on its face, we don't get the red report word for word, but the red report puts Hannah there, even though it puts Thomas there as well. So I say fireworks. Here you go. The dissent, Justice Solomon, states that it is, quote, absurd to conclude that there exists a reasonable probability that had defense counsel used the report, that's the red report, the result of the proceeding would have been different. So that's where the fireworks are. But 4-3, Hannah sort of wins the day. He gets a new hearing. He gets a new trial. Not a hearing. He's already had about 20 hearings. He gets a new trial, start from scratch, and with a, with a soon-to-be-cleaned-up uh, rule of evidence 803C25. So it's a very dense opinion because of a lot of facts and disputed facts. It's a very interesting case. It's a piece of our case law now regarding ineffective assistance of counsel. And I am always interested when a case like this after all these years, is going to go back to be tried because who's around? The police are probably retired. Some important witnesses may no longer be reachable. Some may have passed away. Certainly, we know from the opinion that Thomas, the, the third party, the third wheel of the Jersey City drug dealers, is dead. He was shot in the head in 2000. So he's not going to have a role. Who knows about the other players here? There are girlfriends, 
all of whom had some roles in knowing who was making what drug deals, how much counting money, knowledge of the use of the guns. The, the girlfriends uh, testified about what they were told or overheard. So really an interesting result at fireworks four to three and a retry with likely a lot of missing pieces of the puzzle. So there you go. Again, Anybody who's torqued off at me because I'm not keeping up the pace and uh, following orthodoxy as it relates to pushing out my podcast on a regular cycle, I say mea culpa. I'm going to try to pick it back up. But between now and November 2nd, I may squeeze one more in and then I'll try to get back on track. Signing off from the bold sidebar, please, anything you've got from the New Jersey Supreme Court, please pass it my way. I've, I've been the beneficiary now of doing this for all this entire year and multiple people, notably Bruce Greenberg, pass things my way when they see something relevant. So feel free, easy to find. I look forward to hearing from you. Shoot me an email, give me a call, get in touch so we can keep this uh, momentum going through the rest of 2021 and certainly into 2022. Thanks a lot, everybody.